Welcome to a Drop Tent Media Production. Okay. Hey, welcome to another episode of My Undocumented Ass Podcast. We took a, a, a long break, but we're back with a great episode. Uh, today, I got TikToker Diego Rodriguez. We talk about, uh, unfortunately, both of his parents dealing with deportation, all the things that are happening in California to help out the undocumented community, and also what he's doing to try to bring more awareness to the undocumented community to other people. Uh, I hope you guys love this episode. I love talking to him. Check it out. Uh, my Undocumented Ass Podcast. With Che Guerrero. The winds really change talk. in one direction. They got to harass someone else. I get it. I exactly. get it. Like, people don't realize how just one little access can literally change a whole family's life. Hey, thank you, Diego, for joining me on another episode of My Undocumented Ass Podcast. I took a hiatus, so I didn't even know how to start it after a while. So we switched up the routine and everything. <laughs> but we're back after a two-month hiatus with a great episode. Uh, Diego, what's your last name, man? Because on TikTok it says delay, but... Oh, that's not my last name. That's like the LA. So from oh, Los Angeles. LA. <laughs> <laughs> I <Yeah>. was like, hey. <laughs> no, a few people got that confused. My last name is Rodriguez. Okay, Diego. Okay, Rodriguez. Great. So I can put that on there. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here on this episode. Nice to see you. You know, I'm excited. Thank you, man. Yeah, no, I've, 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 we've been mutuals on TikTok. Everybody on this on this show, pretty much, just like mutuals of mine from TikTok. So I've seen you know you, you talk about your own experience, you know growing up in the immigration system and everything. And, you know, you also do it with some humor and, and some swag. So I wanted to, like, talk to you a little about it. And uh, we had a nice live. Uh, yesterday, was it? Yeah, yesterday we, yeah, we yeah, all wound up live. It was uh, me, you, Alexis, and Jackson Madalita's apparel. And it made me realize, like, yo, TikTok is putting together, like, the next generation of, like, latinx not stars but you know creators things like that and it's cool to be part of that 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 new wave i guess no yeah man i definitely agree and i think that that's one of the things i love about the app that it connects a lot of people from like different parts of the world you know and like even like your latinx news segment bro i'm such a huge fan of it i love it you know and all the knowledge that you put out there i think is very important for like people on the app to become aware of you. No, and that's the crazy thing about like you know the the way the information gets out now. It's like yeah, most people are like I don't even really watch the news. I get my immigration news from you, and I'm like, then that means I gotta step up my game if people are actually coming to me for that information. You know? No, yeah, bro, and it's true. You know, like, I think TikTok is a medium to put information out there like quick and concise, and I think you do an amazing job. You know, when you include like the videos that you're gonna go ahead and address, I think that's such a great way, bro. That like Thank people, you, it Thank keeps you. people engaged in it. It, it does, and that's that's what we need for the TikTok world. But also, you know, for 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 moving, um, you know, politics and stuff forward. You know, you gotta like make sure you can get people to laugh first, and they're like, oh, also while you're at it, let me tell you about this message that's behind it. You know, <laughs> so that, that's what I've learned. But let's talk about you, man. Let, let's talk a little bit about your history. You know, like where you're from, your family, stuff like that's always where I like to begin. Tell me, tell me a little bit about where it began. Um. So. I'm from South Central Los Angeles. That's in California. Okay. You know, my parents are from Mexico. They're both from Colima. You know, so I was born and raised in Los Angeles with, I'm like a first-gen Mexican-American, you know. And I think um, growing up in South Central Los Angeles for me was very, I definitely enjoyed it. You know, like when you hear about South Central, you always hear about like gang violence and things like that. But I feel that I grew up in a point where I was able to see like, because South Central predominantly has been black, you know, so I was able to see like the black community in South Central, but also the changing demographics and where the Latino population started to increase. 
mm. you know but i think that when it comes to like black and brown unity i feel that like growing up in south central that instilled in me that idea that is something that i would love to come to see to fruition okay no it, it, it's uh yeah i never knew about the history of the south central la like kind of like uh how it's the demographics that changed so when you when you grew up it was it was a much uh like uh like a black neighborhood and has become more of a mixed neighborhood yeah yeah now, now it's much more mixed yeah oh okay cool and where you're, you're saying yeah. parents are from mexico right uh were they born there or did they yeah they were born there they're from colima mexico like coquimatlan yeah. to be exactly shout out coquimatlan <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. uh what about them how like how long have they been here my parents have been here since i believe 1985 okay yeah they my mom has about like 35 plus years here oh okay do you know a little bit about like theirs because i always like to know like you know where the immigration for us started like do you know how they immigrated here or anything or their grandparents are their parents i'm saying yes no yeah so my parents immigrated here like in the late 80s and um there was a lot of narco violence like in colima at that time you know, so um, my parents decided to leave and then decided to come here. And um, my mom's sister was already here. So okay. my mom decided to to join her, you know. So when my mom first came, she joined her there and she stayed with her for a while in Burbank. And it's very funny because my mom came here like at 17, you know. Okay. And then um, she told me that like there was this guy who was like this winery guy who he was trying to like date her, you know. And she was like, oh, you guys could have been like white. <laughs> you know, because like there was this white guy that wanted to date me, you know. And um. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, my dad, he had came later than my mom. And um, okay. when he came, he connected with my mom's sister's husband. Like, rest in peace, my tío Arturo. Oh. Um, he connected with her. And then my mom and my dad, they had dated when they were younger in um, Colima. So then when they reconnected here, that's where it led to my family <laughs> being formed. Oh, wow, it. that's that's really sweet. Like, do you have you gone back home? So do you know, like, the, the kind of uh, situation that they left? Have you been able to see it? or? So, um I've only been to Colima once. I'm hoping okay. to go back now that I'm an adult. Um, when I was about six, seven, my mom was deported, you know, and then she, they she went to Colima, you know. So then um, my auntie took us to go see her, you know, and that's the only time I remember being in Colima. And so one of the things that I kind of want to do is kind of visit Colima now and as mm -hmm. an adult, you know, because I kind of just, I didn't become aware that she was deported to like, I was helping her with the immigration process and kind of talking to lawyers and they're like, Oh, well you have a previous deportation notice. Like this happened, that happened, you know? So now I want to go back to Colima and just get to meet my family from over there and kind of just learn more about my roots and where my parents come from and kind of keep that culture alive here in the U S since I am like a first gen Mexican American. I'm really sorry you went through that with your mom, by the way. Uh, how old were you when that happened? Um, she got deported around like 97, 98. I'm from 94. So I was like about six, you know, and I remember it like I remember the memory started coming back to me. Like when I hear when I heard her and the lawyer have a conversation and I was like, oh, damn, like I remember one time like she put us like on the bed and she was like, oh, I'll be back. I'll be back. You get me like, don't worry. And like she was crying. And then um, she was gone for like about a year, bro. You know, and I like I guess like the trauma from that, I kind of suppressed those memories, you know, and I never really thought about them. So kind of just going through the immigration process and trying to help her through that started to bring them back. Wow. So so when she was young, she had to leave. She got the opportunity to come back uh, recently or 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 what happened there? <laughs> Bro, no, because the that's immigration the, yeah, system yeah, yeah, is confusing. Yeah. So I thought like you know, people come yeah. back and forth and I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. I'm just trying to yeah. show people what it does. You know what I mean? Like. Well, she came back like a year after, bro. And like the immigration system was very different back then, you know, where um, my dad, like he kind of self-deported himself to go get yeah. her, 
you know so then we were without like both of my parents for like a year and we were staying with like my auntie so um like my dad and her they tried to cross back and like my mom just couldn't do it you know so then one day they kind of just went like man like just go in the car and that's how she came back wow wow you know, yeah yeah no i've uh my gosh you know you you know this was like in the nineties so it was uh it was pretty it's, tough you know before nine eleven you know <laughs> that's the thing though like I just heard yeah. and you know I just had a, a a family member from Mexico come last year and bro the amount of money that cost that cost fourteen thousand yeah. dollars and no, and my family was telling me like it's funny because I asked them like oh how did so and so come here. And you know, it's funny because like when you grow up on documents, you grow up with these traumas, you don't realize like how you speak in ways that are like somebody traumatized. You know, like I asked my mom, I was like, oh, so how, is, how did the kid get here? And right away, they were like, it was a very nice trip. It was a very nice trip. Uh, so he took a car to the border and then from the border he had to meet a guy who hit him for a month. And then after that, he, you know, so they told me like this horrible story. But they were telling it to me in a way it was like, no, it was actually very nice. You know, and I was just like, you know, it would have been very nice if he could have gotten on like an airplane and been here in three hours. That's what the the the, the plan should have been. But it caused it took two months and fourteen thousand dollars to get a kid. No, yeah, man. yeah, man. And I think you highlight like a very important thing. Like as I become older and kind of like become more aware of like the immigration system, like you do find out that like being informed of how the immigration system is and also having the finances to be able to navigate that like that's a lot of things that's that's some privilege that a lot of people don't have access to you know especially like when you're fleeing violence from like your specific town or your specific pueblo like you don't have time to like oh let me go to like, my nearest consulado and talk to them about that you know yeah yeah and it's it's it is um you know i have an immigration lawyer that i talk to every week and she was pointing out that like federal law only has like three kinds of law really it's like taxes immigration and then like it's like very simple whatever but like immigration is the one that has like that deals most with basically like murders everything else is done yeah. by the states and those kind of things but the federal immigration system is so fucked up and so jacked up and so all over the place that it is actually the most confusing out of all the legal system that's been created more confusing than like money the 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 you know the, the fair trade agreement on shit. Yeah, all that <laughs> oh. shit. You know? No, you know, yeah, man, insane. I definitely agree. I definitely agree because, like, my mom, she had applied for, like, um to change her status here. Yeah. You know, but um there was also, like, a lot of misinformation happening where, like, she was hearing from friends, like, oh, if you show up, they're going to deport you, this and that, you know? And she yeah. was pregnant with my, like, my younger siblings, so she was kind of scared of that, you know, because she didn't have, like, the the knowledge to navigate the immigration system here, you know? So then yeah. she didn't go to her, her, her court notice. And then, like two years later, that's when the deportation notice came. Yeah, man, that's uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of things I missed because I was too afraid of what was gonna happen. You know, because that's that's the thing you don't know uh, if they're gonna you know take uh, let you move on to the next step or if they're gonna deport you, especially with kids. I just heard the most fucked up thing ever. Check this out. I just heard that. So, like, if you're undocumented, right, uh, you can say, "Oh, you shouldn't deport me because uh, I have a wife." Right. Like mm -hmm. she'll go into hardship, but you can't say don't deport me because of my kids. They will face yeah. hardship. But then when you're actually in the ICE facility, like if you've been picked up by ICE, only when you're in the ICE facility, can you tell them me being deported will hurt my kids. 
And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're living your life every day. You can't tell USCIS that me being deported is going to hurt my kid. They're like, they don't care. But once you're in the system, then you say being deported hurt my kid. Then they'll go, okay, we understand now. What fucking yeah. sense does that make? It, it's so stupid, bro. And it's frustrating. Like, my dad, like, he was picked up by ICE, right? And um, so I had, like, the immigration conversation with him, too. And I was like, like, why didn't you do something, like, when we were younger? And he was like, oh, because, like, the lawyer told me that, like, no, I have to be in the system. And then that's when I can claim something, you know? So he was like, I wasn't going to go to ICE myself and tell them, like, hey, my mom, my wife is going to be struggling if I'm not here, you know? Yeah. And then right now he's in the process. Right now, you know, right now we're trying to find, like, fight his deportation. Oh, wow. You know, so... But yeah, but it was through that experience that you hear stuff like that. And you're like, that is so stupid. Like, what the hell? Like, you know, so because of his status, because, you know, he was here without a visa, he couldn't essentially like navigate the immigration system differently, you know, because you have those that come like through a federally recognized port of entry and then yeah. those that don't, yeah. you know, but it's just how nuanced like immigration is here in the U.S. Yeah. And, and wow, dude, I'm so sorry for your parents because you're you're a citizen you know and that's yeah. that's the difficult that people don't understand with the mixed status families it is so abusive that like you know you're considered a citizen but both of your parents have had to spend most of, most of your life in mexico yeah man and i know growing up like my parents kind of um they always they didn't resent it but they were like oh we should have had kids earlier you know because at that point like if you were like over 18 or 21 like your kid can claim you or something like that yeah 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 but it, it just we were too young at that point you know, yeah. so I had like aunties that became citizens because their daughters were already older and they were able to claim them. I mean, you know, uh, it, it sucks that you weren't able to help them. I mean, but that pressure is fucking brutal. You know, I have uh, cousins, you know, I, I was born in DR. My sister was born in DR. So there's no reason like there's no way for me to help out my mom. But I felt bad for like my cousins who grew up who were born here, you know, and my aunt and uncle were undocumented. And just every day, you know, it's like they're trying to figure something out. But every time something didn't go right, they'll turn to the kids and be like, at least we got you. You know, it's <laughs> like it's like, yo, they're just kids, man. Stop telling them at like six years old that like you're my ticket out of this undocumented shit. If I can't get married yeah. or amnesty isn't passed or, you know, it's my kids. And it puts a lot of pressure, you know, like for me, you know, when I was, you know, Turning 18, you know, still undocumented, you know, at that point, my mom was like, get married, get married, get married. I need papers, get married. And I'm, I'm like, do you care who I love? No, get married so I can get papers. You know, it's not even yeah. get married for love, it's get married so I can get something, you know. And it's, you know, um, I have a super toxic relationship with my father. My father and yeah. I, we do not talk at all because every time we talk, he's like, how come you haven't fucking done this for me yet? And I go, first of all, I'm here because you were beating mom. So don't ask me mm -hmm. to do you any favors. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, it was. It's no, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was the one that he actually, we came here because he was the one abusing my mom. So we had to leave. And then like years later, they became like friends, even though like we, we were like, all right, well, we're not going back. We're already here. You guys established your life. So like with him, it's been like, you know, holy crap, do this for me. And it's been that resentment. It was like, well, you're the reason why I came here in the first place, literally, because. We're trying to get away from you. So it's just fucking so much, you know, when you're trying to depend on other people for their status. We talked about this through the news of what's going on, unfortunately, you know, with with, uh, with Angie Diaz having to get married, like those kinds of things yeah. that, that lead to these abuses because people are so desperate for status that they put so much on someone else. No, yeah, man. And I think, thank you for sharing that too, you know, and I think you definitely highlight like a very important thing, you know, like, because like that was even a conversation that like my parents had, you know, and but it's also like 
when you're like speaking from like what I saw my parents go through, you know, like when you're when they since they're undocumented, like the pressures that you face in the US are just too hard, you know, like you know, like you don't have a social to apply to a job, you now have kids, you know, and you still have to feed them, you know, and then you're kind of stuck in these like labor jobs that are very physically intensive and wear and tear the body, you know. But the other thing too is that you don't also qualify for like benefits. Like you're not gonna get social security, you're not gonna do this, you're not gonna do that, you know, and it kind of just puts this pressure that like, okay, like because I don't have a social, because I'm not a resident, because I'm not a US citizen, you don't have access to certain privileges or the American dream that other people do, you know. And I feel that that's mm. something that people love to gloss over. You yeah, know, and like when you mentioned Angie Diaz, like those external pressures to like want to marry in order to have access to like the American gym, like that shit is real. Like that shit is real, you know, like. Yeah. And, you know, talking about like your, your mom and dad, you know, uh, I guess maybe in my worst situations of being undocumented, I didn't have kids. You know, things uh, status has gotten a little better for me now that I have kids. But, man, I remember feeling so bad torn into many different directions and just at the same time feeling like an empty vessel when you're undocumented and just i could just i could not imagine how your mother would have to you said provide for you you know provide for your family you know take care of a home and then if you if you guys got sick you know for any reason she could be deported you know what i mean like just so many things yeah. that could happen you know they could take it like my mom for a long time was scared to take me to the hospital because they would ask for paperwork there and she didn't have it or what would it, you know what i mean it's like this constant fear that I'm glad I didn't have as a parent, but I understand a little bit of that, that, that void of not knowing how you can help someone. No. Yeah, man. And you're right. Like my mom's a street vendor and like, um, she didn't drive. She only recently learned how to drive. Right. But I remember being younger and like, she's been assaulted and robbed like a few times. Like one time I was there when we were robbed, like at with a shank, you know, like someone in the alley had, you know, and then like my mom was shaken by it. And then, um, we went home. They robbed like her Hoya. Like my mom likes gold. So she had like her pool set up and everything. Too, they yeah, took yeah. that from her. You know, and then um, like later in the day, like my dad was like, why didn't you call, call the cops? You know, and my mom was like, why am I going to call the cops? So then they can deport me, you know, but that's like a fear that like at that time they had, you know, like now you can be like, if you are like the victim of a crime, you do have yeah. options now, you know, but that's why I say that like misinformation and also lack of information mm -hmm. is something that continues to exist within the community that affects the decisions of people. You know, because yeah. like now, now my mom's in the application through like a visa, like a U visa, Oh, okay. you know, because she was also like assaulted, like as a street vendor, you know, so oh, hopefully wow. I'm praying that that works out, you know, but like that had happened to her previously, like 10, 15 years ago, you know, so yeah. the process takes forever, man. She probably could have been like a resident or a citizen at this point, you know, but because that fear was existent within that, within her, like it did yeah. hold her back, you know. That is kind of, uh, you know, I'm really sorry your mom went through that. You know, as a street vendor, you see that stuff all the time. Uh, but that is kind of like what's been good about the Internet is like, you know, with TikTok and all this information gets repeated all the time. You know, like, you know, it, it might sound like you've heard it a thousand times now. Like, you know, if you get assaulted, you can apply for a U visa. If you get assaulted by a citizen, you can apply for a U visa. So it's become like common knowledge now that you can have these, you know, these kind of things, that it, you know, to, to protect yourself. But when there was no internet and you didn't hear it, you had no idea that this was it. And it's funny when things get into the lexicon and it becomes like normalized. Like, yeah, you fucking touch me? You, yeah. you racist fucking citizen? Oh, yeah. man, I'm going to get a visa and I'm going to come after you. You know what I mean? Because we didn't we didn't know. But now when, you know, the strength in numbers, you see more undocumented youth come out. You know, shout out to like the freaking dreamer movement because I wasn't a part of that. The first wave of people like I'm not going to be silent anymore because... 
that was the first time I opened up to the fact like, yo, there's strength in numbers. And I think us being TikTokers talking about our parents' experience, our personal experience is helping the new undocumented youth be like, I'm not going to fucking stand for that. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah, like I, I, I am so grateful for like undocumented folks like towards the undocumented and unafraid movement, you know, because like I work in education. So a lot of that has also changed education, you know, like here in the California, we have like AB 540, you know, where like undocumented students can apply to get in-state tuition, you know, but oh, it's wow. all because of the air. It's all because of the effort and work that undocumented people have been putting in the U.S. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a little bit. Um, After your parents, you know, your, your mom got deported. This is 96, 97. You said you were like six, seven years old around there. It was like around 98, bro. 98, 99. How, how did you, who did you end up staying with? How did you, how did you personally as a kid and how did your family help you maneuver through that time? Like, like, well, did you end up living with aunts, you said, or family? Yeah. So like when I was with my mom and the lawyers, right? Like, and she was kind of just discussing what had happened then. Like, like the memory started to come back, but we stayed with my auntie, which was my dad's sister. And we stayed with her for like about a year, you know, because my mom, like she had been deported. Right. But then my dad was like, oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to get her and we're going to come back. You know, and even like the people that took her, they were like, don't worry, you can come back tomorrow or whatever, you know, like, because I guess, you know what? Back then, you know, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it was different, you know, but um, like, yeah. I, I don't remember like that year with my auntie, you know, yeah. I remember going to Mexico, like I remember going to Mexico with my brothers, my siblings, and then like we were in Colima, I got to know Colima, but yeah. I didn't know that we were there because my mom, we were there right. to visit my mom, like the right. whole plane ride, I don't remember that. Wow. But I remember like riding a bike, riding behind the truck. You know? <laughs> I remember well, all of that. Yeah, your family tried to shield you from the reality of what was going on. And then, uh, did and then did you? So you so you grew up. You pretty much got to grow up with your parents though, because your mom did wind up coming back yeah. a little while later. Okay, so I thought you had to grow up with aunts and uncles. That's what I did. Like I grew up with aunts and uncles because like my mom kept getting like, you know, deported or going back or whatever. So yeah. I grew up. I actually didn't know my mom was in jail for a year. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it turns out like, you know, because I grew up with my mom and my uncle, so they would just be like, your mom's not here. Your mom's taking care of stuff. She would travel around the country to work. That's how she did it without a social. Yeah. And uh, there was one time she got arrested for working uh, and she was held in, I think, in a, like a detention center or something like that for like a year. And yeah. I just, I didn't know. And, you know, and then she just came back. I was like, I'm back. And I'm like, oh, okay, my mom was gone for like a year. But they didn't tell me it's like much later. Yeah, and I think that also highlights, like, how, the, well, the fears that certain undocumented people live in, you know, like, that they're very hushed about their experiences because my mom was always like, oh, like, don't tell nobody that, like, mm. you know, but there's also, like, some form of, like, I'm not sure if, like, it's embarrassment that she feels or it's kind of just anger at the fact that, like, this is still my life, you know, and nothing has changed, you know, because, yeah. like, I remember 9-11, when 9-11 happened, like, my dad was crying, you get me, and at that point, like, I, he wasn't crying because the Twin Towers were attacked, mm. like, I just know he wasn't, you know, yeah, yeah. and, like, rest in peace to like the people that lost their lives that day but he was crying because he was like oh yeah immigration's gonna suck now like it's gonna get worse you know and it did like and it did that's and he exactly it, you know? the you know what's funny that is exactly the conversation i remember having on 9 11 that i don't talk about a lot i don't i, I mean yeah we talked about the towers and the muslim you know and then you know the you know the, you know, the, the terrorist group not muslim yeah. but, you know i lived in new york so that was the the, the talk of it a lot but in my immediate family immigrants we were talking about the immigration system changing we were talking about, yeah. ah, these guys got these visas and then they got these passports. So we knew that the first thing they were going to look at was how did the guys get here and why? Yeah, exactly. you know, so I, yo, I knew the immigration system. I, like I was, yeah, seventh grade. I was like 12 years old. And even then I was having a heavy conversation. My mom actually moved us out of New York City 
to uh, Aurora, Illinois, because she was like, <laughs> yeah, she was like, police presence is going to be heavier. They're going to be like getting yeah. people on the trains, you know, uh, you know, stop and frisk was like, you know, it's always had always been thing in New York. But yeah. now they were making a lot more like, yeah, let's let's start patting people down at subways. So my mom was like, we got to cut out. So for a year, I went to um, Aurora, Illinois, but I hated it so much. I begged my mom to please let me go back to New York and possibly get deported. Because I was like, I can't stand this place. It's <laughs> just, it was terrible. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's exactly what it was. As soon as 9-11 happened, we had the conversation of we shouldn't stay in New York City anymore because it was going to get dangerous for immigrants. No, yeah, man, it did. You know, like the, the social political climate really changed after 9-11. Yeah. You know, like um, that's when you had like the Department of Homeland Security be informed and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is that like I know in L.A., like um, there's like this place called Amapola where they sell like flour, tortillas and like other like Mexican Latino food. But um, during like around post 9-11, like there was a lot of like ice raids at that time, you know, because mm-hmm. it, at that store, there was a very dense population of like undocumented people or just like Latinos, you know. Yeah. You know, so people were scared of even like retens, like, oh, they're gonna deport me, this and that, like, you know. But the fear was very real, like after that. Yeah, no, that, that's something that our community knows. When when the immigration system is about to change, we're like, you know, oh, nine yeah. eleven and Trump, like, we're like, oh, shit's about to go down, baby. Like, we know it's about to go bad. Uh, yeah, how was your family during that 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 Trump era? Like, yeah, I mean, still very much his fart is still in the elevator, but like, yeah, my family was just very much like ah, like this fool, you know, like it's, yeah. yeah. It, it's and it's kind of just sad you know because it kind of just i can see like the wear and tear that it takes on like it takes mm-hmm. on them like emotionally and also psychologically whereas like yeah. you expect like this new policy this new immigration reform but it hasn't happened yeah. you know and then you have trump coming in here like saying these bold ass statements like mm-hmm. oh maybe they're sending some of the good ones you know mm-hmm. but for them it was just very like fuck like again like nothing's gonna happen you know mm-hmm. and like they keep just getting like stringed on we're like oh maybe there's gonna be some new policy some new reform coming but nothing effective has happened and you said about your mom too that she looks like worn out by this you know just just like tired of being undocumented and that's sort of what i'm starting to realize with a lot more of not just the uh, undocumented youth but like you know the the veterans of the undocumented community that they're just like why should i be happy to just be here do you know what i mean why you know, like uh, one of the people that I loved, he did a great video, uh, Senor Baragan. You know, he's had DACA yeah. now for about 10 years since it first came out. And he's like, you know, the first maybe the first time, maybe the second time I renewed it, I was so happy. He's like, now this is the fifth time. And I go, why the fuck do I got to keep doing this? You know what I mean? It's just like we yo, yeah. I'm glad that more of us are like, you expect me to be fucking happy giving you two thousand dollars every two years to apply for all this shit. And then you tax me and then you tell me I'm not good enough. At a certain point, you go, when am I going to stop letting you fucking spit in my face? You know, and no, that's yeah, what man, I... you're... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, and you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, and like it also shows how it's become like a political tool, you know, for specific parties to like talk about immigration, you know, but the action hasn't been there, you know, but the yeah. conversation is always there, but it's always left at the last minute during re-election cycles and things like that, you know. So the frustration is very real. Like my mom, like, all she wants to do is just go see her mom and like be able to come back and see her kid, you mm-hmm. know, because if my mom didn't have us, like she'd, she'd be back over there, bro. She yeah. was like, when I die, bury me, bury me in Mexico. Like that's where she wants to be, you yeah. know? And, um, but seeing like how certain family members have passed away and she's unable to visit well, she can, right. But she won't be able to come back, yeah. you know? So yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it tears down on her, bro, because like she has, she's had more time here in the U.S. than she has, than she's had in Mexico, bro. Mm-hmm. But like her heart, her passion is in Mexico because 
those people were there during like developmental stages of her life that she's like, yeah. oh, my mom, sister, and my mom has no family, like no siblings out here, mm-hmm. you know. So it's just us, uh-huh. her kids, and that's it. You know, it's crazy because like I'm considered Generation 1.5, which is I was born in DR, but because I came here when I was six. You know, I know half of that country and half of this one. And it's true, man. I'm always in, in, in I have this weird brain where half of my brain, like I remember like DR, I remember growing up, I remember the love and the friends and the camaraderie and I miss it so much. And then I grew up here and it's like, I never feel at home in either place. You know, like I haven't gone back since, you know, since I left, I'm, I'm scared of going back. Like, like too, like you yeah. can visit, but I mean, you can't come back. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, yeah, I always forget that part. People remind me like, oh, you can visit. You just can't come back. I'm like, yeah. oh, you're right. That's, you know. So I, I feel that too, man. Just that uh that loss of, you know, a big part of you. Yeah. No, yeah, man. And like I think, cause like I was mentioned earlier, like my dad, he was taken by ICE, right? But for him, like I asked him, I was like, what happened, you know? And um, but you also mentioned too, like struggling having conversations with your father, mm-hmm. you know. And my dad and my mom had split up, right? So then my dad had been like he cheated on my mom, and then like he had moved out, right? He's like, oh, I'm leaving, and he kind of just took off. And I hadn't talked to him probably in like a year and then one time i got a call from like my cousin she was like hey just so you know like your dad has been detained by ice i was like what like you know and i kind of had to like i hadn't processed like and forgiving him for like what he had done to our family and like you know how he had hurt us but it wasn't his fault that he was detained you know because like now that i'm more cognizant of like how immigration is and how people government uses that to like oppress people you know like I was like, man, I kind of got to suck it up and I got to go see him, you know, because this isn't his fault, you know. And I talked to him when I was there. Like, he was detained at at Atlanta Detention Center. Mm. And, like, when I saw him, bro, it was just so, like, it's just so dehumanizing. Like, it's just so sad. But I talked about what happened. Like, and he said that he was staying in some apartments, right? And then that I had came looking for somebody and my dad was taking out the trash can. And then they were like, oh, are you this person? He was like, no, like, my name is Regal, right? And he was like, well, where's your ID? My dad didn't have it because he was in sweat. You know, and then they just took him, bro. And they took him like that. I just fucking saw this shit on Immigration Nation. I bro, just, just fucking, took him like that. They, they, they come looking for someone and they go, let me see your ID. And you go, no, I don't have one. And they'll take you. You just got to be like, you're not here for me. But, you know, again, yeah, bro. you don't know these laws. You don't know these rules. You're looking for someone. You got a warrant for someone. Why are you asking me for my ID? But ICE will literally do a full sweep and be like, I'm going to pick up. He was just fucking throwing out the trash. Yeah, just bro, motherfucking that- throwing out the trash, dude. Yeah, and that's how they took him, bro. And I was like, damn, like, you know, and it's it's sad, bro, because this isn't an experience unique to him. You know, it happens to, like, a lot of people, bro. Yeah. And, like, it's just a reflection of, like, the broken immigration system here in the U.S. My uh, my stepdad, you know, he's still with my mom now. He's He's been deported twice and, and, and came back. And so now, unfortunately, um, there might not be a pathway for him. But, hey, listen, you know what? He's working. He's doing his thing. You know, he's he understands. Yeah. Sometimes, at some point, you just go, okay, if that's over, then now I just got to work. Yeah. And figure it out, you know what I mean. And 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 that yeah. that citizenship is ship has sailed. Citizenship ship has sailed for real. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> and you know, is your so stepdad Latino too, or? Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's from Durango. Yeah. He's from Durango. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, like, oh, so dude, Mexican. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My stepdad's Mexican. <laughs> my my uh, my nieces have Mexican. My my nephew, my my brother-in-law is Mexican. Uh, they're my, it's weird. My my father-in-law, my 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 father, my step my stepdad. Yeah, and my brother-in-law, my stepbrother-in-law are brothers. So my mom yeah. and my sister are married to brothers. That's not, it's not weird, but it's family. <laughs> it it's not family. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like that. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, I have a bunch of uh, nieces and nephews that are, like, Mexican and stuff. And um, I'll be honest with you, man. I love 
my papa franco you know <laughs> my papa paco more than i ever loved my real dad man my my uh yeah. my mexican step that is a uh, quiet but hard working like i've never seen a man like be so quiet He's not a big talker, but he's quiet, loyal, hard work. I'm like, man, I, I wish he had been my dad from a jump, you know? That's the kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah, bro. Like, you know, and one of the things that, like, I'm very grateful for my dad, like, you know, he made bad decisions, but I think he was a good father. And one of the things that he taught us was, like, oh, el padre es el que cría, no el que engendra. You know, so, like, a father is the man who raises you, bro, not the one who, you know, like, you come from. So yeah. I, that's an idea that I carry on with me all the time. I think uh, I think that's beautiful, man. I think it might be a little bit more of a Mexican father because Dominican fathers are more like, mira, la Biblia dice que repete a Dios y a tu papá. And I'm like, damn, dude. Like, that's all I heard my whole life. Repete a Dios y a tu papá. I'm like, you're number two to God. Not even Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They put themselves up there. Huh? They put themselves up there, man. Not even the Holy Spirit got top three ranking. That's hilarious. So, um, what about you? Yeah, tell me a little bit more about you. Like, so, Salvatore, where'd you go to college and stuff like that? Because you got your degree. You're an educator yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, after high school, I went to Cal State University Northridge, bro. But I dropped out like my first semester. Okay. You know, so then, I, yeah. So then I went to like a community college, and then from the community college, I was able to transfer into UCLA, and then at UCLA, like I took uh, so my I transferred as a political science major because I was like, oh, I'm gonna get into politics, you know, like. I would like to see my community change, this and that. Mm -hmm. So I was studying political science, and then I transferred to UCLA, and I took a class called Mexican-American in the public schools. And um, it kind of just transformed my way of how I saw education. Like, I feel that, like, I kind of just experienced education because that's what I had, you know, mm -hmm. like, low-income schools, underfunded, like, no college-going culture. But um, when I was there, I was like, oh, this is institutional, you know, like this is by design, you know, and then that class really just transformed my eyes because I was also asked by professor, like, why are you here and why aren't your friends here? Mm -hmm. You know, and I was a commuter student. So like from every day I would drive from like South Central LA and I would go like to UCLA. So I would see Westwood, I would see Bel Air and you see the change in the communities, you know, and you read how certain people like our legacy students, you know, how they have college going culture, bro, from like middle school, elementary school, and how mm -hmm. certain people are put on this pathway to access specific schools. And I was like, I'm not any smarter than my friends are. And because I know my friends, like I know that they have other stuff going on in their lives, you know, where like my friend's dad passed away. So then he had to take on the responsibilities of the household and he wasn't able to focus on being a student. Like, you know, so that really transformed how I saw things. And then that put me on the path towards being an educator. And recently, I just finished like my master's, like in educational counseling, and wow. my goal is to work. Like, yeah, my goal is to work like at the community college, so then I can help students finish their academic or their career goal. You know, because like whether it's because like some of the data shows that like those that earn a bachelor's degree, like they have a potential to earn higher than those with the high school. But yeah. the other thing too is that I'm a big believer in like vocational schools or like trade schools. Mm -hmm. You know, where if you learn a certain trade, bro, you can be earning good money. You know, I was but it's the They'll see an yeah, A from 18 to now, yeah. It's helping students navigate that, you know, but it's also having the conversation with students like, oh, what is your career goal? What do you want to do? And kind of helping that career exploration with students because, like, if you look at data within the U.S., bro, like, if you are born low-income, bro, like, the chance of you leaving that low-income bracket, bro, is very slim. Yeah. Like, it's very slim, you know? So yeah. it's like you go to low-income schools, you're born low-income, you don't have access to the resources to succeed. You know, but I feel like community college in California, I feel yeah. like it's such a great level playing field because there are resources that students can take advantage of. And then if they have the adequate support, bro, I think that they can succeed. 
I, I think so too, man. You know, I uh, I only got my college degree, uh, God, last May, last May, because I was, you know, for so long I couldn't I couldn't get a degree because of my status, you know. So I had to wait for a long time to get the money and get everything right. But you know what? If I had been able to go to college, uh, I would have done a lot better. But I was also very blessed because uh, my high school offered uh, nursing assistant courses because they didn't think we we're going to be smart enough to go to college, right? But yeah. I got lucky because I was undocumented, so I got to take these programs within the school. And then when I finished, all I needed to find was, like, a driver's license, and then I could, like, you know, start working or because I already had the certificate from the school. I didn't have to go to, like, a trade school or whatever. So I got – that was very lucky. But that CNA certificate, when I got that in 2006, the I mean, the minimum wage is still $7. I was making 22 bucks coming out with that CNA certificate at 18, man. My friends thought I was fucking rich. You know, and that's why I always tell people, like, when they come out of school, I'm like, what should I do? I'm like, go go to six months and become like a CNA or or do something small yeah. so you can make a little more money while, you know, because you're going to have to work while you're in school anyways. We all have to work while we're in school. Yeah. At, least, at least get paid the most you can. So I, I'm a big proponent of, like, vocational schools as well. No, yeah, man. You also highlight a very important thing, bro, where it's, like, the resources for undocumented students change among states, you know, because every state approaches that issue very differently. So, yeah. like, in California, like, undocumented students, like, through AB 540, they can pay in-state tuition instead of paying out-of-state tuition, you know. And yeah. out-of-state tuition, bro, is ridiculously expensive, you know. So yeah. there's also very – there's also resources that they can access, but at the end of the day, they still live through, like, oh, the bigger picture of immigration where it was like, if you're not DACA, then DACA gets repealed and you still are going to be impacted by that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, does your, the California gives driver's license to, to undocumented people and non-citizens stuff, right? Yeah. And that was recently, like, I know that was a bill that was, I think, I think at most it was like 2016, 2017. Damn, you know? so you've but seen a lot of the change. To... You've seen the, the yeah. sort of more understanding of the undocumented community through the farm work bills and all that stuff. Yeah, and a lot of that was re very recent, too, you know, like, and even right now, like, the whole real ID, bro, like, I think it's a big issue just because it's, like, it will limit state travel, you get me? And the thing is that, like, if you are undocumented, you're not going to qualify for a federal ID, yeah. you know? So it is going to essentially oust people that are undocumented because it's going to be a seal in the state licensure that, oh, you don't have the California state seal, so the federal seal, so it's obvious that you are undocumented or you're yeah. not a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's something that I've noticed uh, with those uh, uh, driver's licenses that give to undocumented people. Uh, mm -hmm. My family, uh, a few of them in Illinois have that driver's license, uh, but they give you like a, it says non-citizen. Uh, cops mm -hmm. pull them over and fucking uh, extort them for that. No, yeah, because no, I'm, they'll, I'm... they'll be like, oh, we can see that you're not a U.S. citizen. We can tell this is for, you know, for undocumented people. Uh, 550, if you want to go home tonight or you want to come with me to the precinct, because they know they can start, you know, the, the process or whatever. Yeah, my, my stepdad, I'll say right, he's been extorted for $1,000 just in the last few months from cops just stopping him on and be like, yeah. yeah, I know you're not a citizen. Bro, I believe yeah. you. Like, like, people love to paint cops, like, as good, you know, but, like, obviously, like, not all of them are. You know, and I remember one time, like, I had a friend um, whose cousin came to visit, and then um, he was like, oh, bro, you're trying to smoke? Like, you know, we're like, hell yeah, like, let's go smoke. Let's go invite the homie Chino. Like, we'll go. We'll smoke with him. And then we were, like, in my friend's alley, right? Like, right behind his house. And it was, like, during New Year's, they were just celebrating being friends again, like, yeah. you know, enjoying New Year's together. And um, my, my, my homie Jesse had his cousin, who we were calling Primo. <laughs> you know, he was just calling him Primo. Yeah. You know, so then um, it was Jesse in the driver's seat, then Primo in the front, and then me, and then the homie Chino in the back. You know, and then um, all of a sudden, bro, like a helicopter pulls up, like 
like two cars, like two cop cars from the front and then two cop cars from the back, bro. And then like the lights are on us, bro, and everything, you know? And we're like, oh, damn, like what the hell is happening? And we're like, we were smoking. I was like, oh, bro, like this is it. Like we're going to get in trouble, you know? And then, um, so then the cops come, like they're like, everybody put your hands up in the air. Like, and we're like this, right? You know? And yeah. then like they come like with gun pointing, everything, bro. And I spoke English. My homie spoke English. My homie Jesse spoke English, but his cousin didn't. You know, his cousin was from Mexico. Yeah. And we're calling Primo. And then, um, so then when the cop came to his side of the window, bro, and they were like, what's your name? And he was like, he was confused because he couldn't understand that, you know? And he was like, oh, I don't speak English. And the cop was like, in Spanish, bro, he was like, he told him, stop fucking lying or I'll kill you, bro. And you're like, what the fuck, bro? Yeah, bro. He literally, I, bro, I speak both languages. I fucking heard that shit, bro. I mean, the homie, we looked at each other. We're like, oh, shit, bro. Like, and it, and it was like that, bro. And he t- he's, he's asking him a question, bro, like with the gun pointed, bro. You know, and then like they, they take us out of the cars, bro, and they put us in the squad cars and they put us in the back seats. And we're like, what the hell? Like they split us up and we're like, damn, what the hell is happening? This and that. You know, so then I was with Primo and then Chino and Jesse were together. And then um, luckily, like we came out of that unscathed, you know, and we asked them, like, yeah. I asked, like, bro, what, what happened? You know, and then it turns out that <laughs> that the cops got a call from the neighbors saying that there was guys with guns and masks in the back. You get me? And then that's what triggered, like, the police response, right? But then Chino was like, I live right here, bro. Like, here's my license. Look, like, oh, this is my house. God. You get me? So, fortunately, we were able to get away with But yeah. that whole event, bro, like, that shit is scarred into my mind, bro. But I remember that cop telling him, like, I'll fucking kill you, bro. Oh, like, if you're lying to me, bro. Like, And and <sighs> just recently, bro, there was, like, a I think, like, an L.A. rapper, bro. Like, they released the, the deputy's footage, bro. They yeah. released it. And then it, the cop is telling him, like, I'm going to fucking shoot you. I'm going to put one to your chest, bro. Like, I'm yeah. gonna put one to your chest, bro. And yeah. that shit just triggered me, bro. Cause I was like, damn, like, that is true, bro. Like, the cops, yeah. some cops are like that, bro. Like, not every cop is clean. So, the people that try no, to push man. that image get the fuck out of here. I mean, I, I'm reading great books on abolition, man. Cops are literally set up just, even if you think you're a good cop, I mean, you're still putting homeless people in a cell. Why? You're just, you're perpetuating the violence, man, even if you say you're a good one. Um, damn, Diego, dude, this is, this conversation flew by. Uh, we're about <laughs> to, like, yeah, no, dude, I'd love talking to you because, you know, like, when we go through this, man, and, and, you know, we can hit these nuances of things that nobody else understands, man. We get deep in it, and it flies by. Um, before we get out of here in a minute, um, I know you got a podcast yourself. Um, anything you want people to check out? Anything you want them to know before we get out of here? Um, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. So, like, the homie Carlos and I, we have a podcast called Kyleway. It's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You get me? So, if you're interested in just having conversations or listening to two friends kind of just talk it out, you know? Check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Yeah, and your TikTok? Oh, Diego TikTok, yeah, underscore. Diego like, yeah, I'm going to change it, bro, because people are like, is that your last name? I'm like, no, nah, it's like from L.A. in Spanish, you know. Yeah. I'm from Los Angeles. Yeah. Listen, mine came up by a fluke, so you, you know, you'll develop something yeah. for yourself. And uh, and I'm going to yeah. see you, man. Well, by the time this drops, we already probably have pictures of each other up. I'm kind of L.A. in a few days, and I can't wait to meet you. And and hang out with you, man, and get to yeah. know some of your people out there. Yeah, I'm excited, bro. Welcome. You know, I want to welcome you to L.A., man. Uh, uh, so I'm excited. And Absolutely. And thank you so much for, for uh, talking to me today. And, uh, yeah, definitely check out all his work. He's a very funny dude, uh, doing a lot of great stuff, and educator as well, man. Uh, we'll talk soon, man. Thank you guys so much for watching. Have a good night. Right. Have a good one, y'all. Uh, my undocumented ass podcast with Che Guerrero. The winds really change talk. in one direction. They gotta harass someone else. I get it. I get exactly. it. Like people don't realize how just one little access can literally change a whole family's life.
This has been a Drop Tent Media Production.